This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing. Hey friends, what are you at? Josh here. Today I'm joined by Riley Rose Harper. I'm really excited about this one. Not only is Riley a local radio personality, who a lot of you might have heard before, but Riley also grew up in the same small town that I did, spent a part of her formative years in Koryong, Victoria. So we had that in common. I think it's out of all the podcasting I've done in the last decade, I'm not sure I've ever had anyone on from Koryong from memory, so this is pretty special. Just one note, if you want to see me try some brand new jokes, as in never spoken them out loud to another human being brand new, November 14th at the Wodonga RSL from 6pm, the Aubrey Wodonga comedy community has kind of breathed a little bit of new life into the open mic thing that was happening at the bookshop. So I'm not sure if that's going to continue there as well, but this is a new venue. So if you wanted to come check that out, I do know that there will be some people that you might not have seen before who are funny people. So I'll link up all the details in the show notes where you're listening to this. So I won't keep you any longer. This is Riley Rose Harper. She's awesome. We had a great chat. And yeah, go Corion. Riley Rose Harper, welcome to the Half Deconstructor Studio. Thank you. Do you know I'm a little bit nervous? That's a bit silly. <laughs> I, I do this twice a week and you do it every day. So I know. But this is all about you. Not yeah. A, yeah. That's true. I'm I'm sort of driving here and I'm like, oh man, I hope I'm interesting enough. Just for the sake of, you know, what's it called? Breaking the fourth wall, third yeah. wall. What's that called in podcasting? <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah. I put a lot of work into choosing people I think will be interesting. Yeah, that's Because cool. if I have to edit up something- that yeah. turns out oh, that wasn't all that great and I probably should have put some more thought into the guest. Yeah, yeah. That doesn't make me happy, all the people that have to listen to it. So I know. That's yeah. the, the beauty of podcasting though, isn't it? Because you get on these podcasts and you listen to them and you're like, wow, this is really entertaining, but there's so much work that goes into the back end. It's like it's essentially like doing a brekkie show on the radio. And uh, we'll probably get on to your radio yes. endeavours, but as I've stressed Multiple times in the past, it might seem like an incongruence that I have radio people on, but then don't want to talk about that. We'll, <laughs> we'll get there. But the real reason I wanted to have you on today is that when I've been racking my brain around the region and creative people that I know that have done different things, yeah. I, got, I started thinking about small towns and I started thinking about where we're both from, yeah. which is a very small town called Corriong, yeah. and what it's like to grow up there as someone that may have creative aspirations mm-hmm. as a kid or you develop them at some point in your life and then have to break out of that yeah. cycle of being in a little town. So, can we just maybe start with just your general feelings on Koryong growing up and were you into netball, horses, Bundy rum cans? That's usually the three <laughs> things that people are into. I know. It's so interesting. When I was growing up, you know, I moved to Koryong with my mum. My parents separated. We lived in Melbourne and we went up to Koryong when I was in grade three. So, I guess I would have been about eight or nine. Yep. I mean, Koryong feels home. Definitely wouldn't think of where we lived in Melbourne as home, to be honest. But, um, yeah, I remember getting in and, and you know, I 
got in with this group of girls and we're still friends in primary school. But I remember really thinking, oh, man, these girls love netball and, you know, they're so athletic and sporty. And a lot of the time in the back of my mind, I really did have this sense that, oh, I don't really like girls' footy and sport and, and whatnot. And so by the time um, growing up, high school was really good. I had a really good experience in Korean. I had great teachers as well. I had really close relationships with them. I think I was probably a bit of a teacher's pet. Yeah, right. <laughs> that's the beauty of having um, smaller classes as well in a small town. Yeah. All the teachers were quite um, the old school teachers, you know, I mean, this is kind of name dropping and in joke for Korean young people, but you know, the Dixie Coots, Mel Seaborn, did you have those yeah, teachers? Yeah. yeah. You know, they were all so good. And um, so I had a really good high school in time, but yeah, by the time we left high school, everyone was sort of knew what they wanted to do and they were going to uni and I was sort of like, oh, can I swear on here? You can say anything other than the C word. Oh, that's even good. That, even that you can say, but I'll, that will definitely get Leave edited out. <laughs> I was like, shit, I don't know what I want to do. Yeah. And so I just sort of, I mean, I got a pretty good enter score after year 12, but I didn't really have any ambition to go to uni, but I've sort of talking to the careers advisor and she was like, you've got a really good end to score. I think you should go to uni. And of course, you know, being 17, I was like, oh, I'm going to listen to you because you know what you're talking about. <laughs> I went to uni at Monash in Melbourne doing a Bachelor of Arts and I hated it. Yeah. <laughs> I just, I had I had a few issues, you know, I moved in with my best friend from Koryong as well and we just, it didn't work and I was so miserable and, you know, I was going to uni. And when you live in Koryong and you sort of, you know, you've, you've got a good nature and you've got friends and, and whatnot and you're, I guess, popular in the town, you get to uni in Melbourne and you're just a small fish in a huge pond now. And I felt so isolated because I didn't really know how to make friends. I remember one night we had, it was a part of O Week, so literally day dot, and we went into the city to go to one of these O Week parties. And we were there for about half an hour. I just took a couple of my friends and I said, I have to leave. And we walked out onto the city streets of Melbourne. I was crying and I was literally like, I'm not popular. Like, <laughs> how sad is that to look back on it now? But I really... I struggled because I was like, yeah. I don't know anyone and this is scary. I ended up back in Koryong. Do you mind if we go on an early detour, which mm. is normally what we do here? Something that about growing up in a town of sub a few thousand people yeah. is that you rarely, if ever, will come across somebody, even the person you know the least, you wouldn't consider them a stranger. Totally. And when you go to a place, like you don't realise either how scales work when mm -hmm. you grow up in Coronel. Yeah. You think, okay, that's everyone I know. It's a few thousand people I know that face and I know them by name and yeah. I recognise those few kids running around. You get to a place the size of Monash, which would be in the 35, 40,000 mm -hmm. student plus all of the faculty and everyone on, you're talking probably 50,000 people floating around. Yeah. You don't think about it, but it'd be like saying to yourself, I'm going to move down to, I'm going to move to Wagga tomorrow. And I'm going to be just as well known by everybody there. You would never mm, think that yeah. that was possible, but you, I don't think people explain the scale of university to people in Koryong either. No, definitely. Particularly I not career advisors, because our career advisor was just someone filling in a couple of shifts. Oh, man. <laughs> I did not feel prepared for it. Definitely yeah, not. Because that's one of the biggest culture shocks, isn't it? Coming from a little tiny place where everybody knows you, wants to help you, or they know your parents, or however it works, there's a bubble around you. 
Yeah, it is actually a type of culture shock. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Hit the nail on the head. And my mum had um, the cafe in Koryong as well. My, oh, good. Yeah. That's, it was funny that that came up on my notes. I'm like, I can't not talk about that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely a big part of my life in my formative years. That's for sure, Josh. <laughs> um, yeah, so we, I just... Um, I came back after six months. I went back to Korea and back home. <laughs> yeah, and how did how did that feel free to say as little or as much as you like? How did that feel going back there? Just in my own mind, I would have people probably wouldn't have been judging you as much as maybe you would probably either expecting or you were judging yourself. You're so right. I was so embarrassed because you make a big deal when you leave Koryong as well. You're like, guys. I'm never coming back. Never coming back. I'll see you later. Drinks at the top pub. Um, <laughs> we're going to get on it. And because I'm going, I'm yeah, leaving. This is it. It's my goodbye This party. is the last year I'm having in <laughs> this part of Victoria. <laughs> so true. Yeah. So I did, it was about six months that I, I got back and I just, you know, my mum was like, well, you can work in the shop. It's fine. You know, you've always got a job here. So that's what I did. And, and that was really really hard because everyone came into that shop too and yeah. everyone would we're talking be like, about was it called Tallulah's at Tallulah's that point? yeah we're talking about a cafe that on a very much smaller scale it's basically Koryong's Beachworth Bakery totally, totally it's a it's a cultural yeah touchstone of the town the Mexi burger was the beasting yes the Mexi burger was I still have not had one comparable anywhere else yeah or even really seeing one on a menu to be honest <laughs> yeah that was so good I so you basically were just seeing people that probably knew 20 times more about you than you knew about them which it tends to be the way it works up there that totally when and you're in that 18 to 20 year old range people keep track of you somehow mm, i just yeah. i even feel you know a bit sad you know, even reliving that moment. Cause I, I do remember there was one moment in particular where this lady came in and um, I didn't, you're right. I didn't really know her and she knew me and she was probably about my mum's age and her kids had, you know, all grown up in Koryong and, and stuff. And I don't know why she felt the need to comment on my life but she just I kind of explained what had happened I was telling everyone that I had deferred from uni for a year by the way I was yep. kind of lying I didn't have any intentions of going back but that's what my story was white lie the little, little, little white, white lie, lie. Yeah. yeah just make those conversations easier I guess exactly like I really needed something to say because I just couldn't bring myself to say hey I'm back I failed and I'm here forever now bye um but this lady came in and she I told her that I told her I deferred and you know she looked at me in the eyes and she said don't get stuck here and it was just so patronizing <laughs> because and I it upset me because I was I was so angry because I was like why does she feel the need to say that to me and I was defensive because I guess it probably tapped into an insecurity of mine too because I was like oh well you know yeah I have failed maybe but I do remember that I still remember the lady too just for future guests, my goal is not to make people sad. So no, no, it's fine. <laughs> but we're, we're going we're to keep going on just yeah. a little bit deeper, if that's okay. Absolutely. Do you think that it stung a little bit more because you happen to be working for your family? Yeah, definitely. Because that it's kind of like you've come home and you've had to be rescued by the family a little bit. Definitely. I mean, it would be not that I ever had the skill to help my dad in electrical, <laughs> but he said to me, "I had no interest in it." But he said at the end of school. Because I was seen to be the most directionless. He said, if you want to do this, I've never had an apprentice, yeah. but if you want to be my one and only apprentice and you know that you can make a really s substantial living doing this job up here because of all the dairy work and mm -hmm. he built this 
real mm. legacy business of huge amount of customers. He said, one day that could be yours. And I thought, I can't think of anything safer and more scary than making that choice. Totally. And I mean, he loved it. Yeah. Like, he absolutely loved yeah. doing that, but I had no interest. But I just sort of can't think of a job that would make me feel less like I'd achieve something than taking that route. Yeah, I totally understand that. And, you know, I mean, we'll get to it, but I did get a job at the bank in town as well. Um, and I think that really helped because I, I don't know, I guess I kind of thought I was like this big, big shot bank now. <laughs> well, it's either how do you want your home lawn or how much sour cream do you want on your Mexi burger? Yeah, I know. Exactly. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> Not both are important, but mm-hmm. so... I guess if we skip forward a little bit, mm. you were working with the bank and we don't have to dwell too much on that unless you have something interesting. To- I heard you say in an interview, sorry, things are just sparking off in my head, yeah, no. that you could have got, you said the word stuck before, yeah, but you could have got very comfortable with that bank job. Yes. And there may or may not have been a relationship that was also contemporaneous with the bank job. Yes. I'm not sure, but I'm pretty sure you said- I had to make an active choice in the end yeah. to leave Coriong because it was you'd built a very comfortable life there. Yeah, eventually. totally. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the, basically the pre- like, you know, my world in a nutshell then was I had this job at the bank at ANZ and, um, you know, the, and they were really good for me actually too. They, you know, they wanted to train me up to be a personal banker and stuff. I had no bloody clue about banking, by the way. Still don't know how to handle my Art money. student over here. Oh my God, <laughs> what the hell? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm like, guys, why did you want to train me in being a banker? Because I sucked. You know, I wasn't that good. I mean, I had the, um, I guess, customer service skills and that's probably, or the, everything else was probably teachable. So, um, yeah, so I had this kind of very comfortable life and, and yeah, I sort of had this relationship and, you know, I was like, maybe I just want my little white picket fence life and that'll be it. But then on Monday nights, I'd go up to the community radio station and kind of flirt with this idea of being a radio announcer. And then, you know, by Tuesday morning, I'd be like, oh, I'm going to go to work now and <laughs> that's fine. So, Were you at that point, and maybe we can approach the radio talk from maybe the direction of maybe your inspiration, we're blessed enough to be in a country where you would probably say that four or five of the top 20 female presenters in the world happen to work and have been working in Australia Mm. on on radio for 20 years. Yeah, totally. From Triple J through, right through to commercial radio. Yeah. There's some real- you know, superstars. Yeah. Were you already listening to those people and thinking, I've got multiple role models here? It's yeah. Like, or were you thinking maybe more you were doing it really for yourself, well, the community thing? Like, how big were those aspirations mm, at that point? To be honest, um, maybe a little bit of both. I didn't really have any radio sensibilities. I didn't know much about the radio world or media, to be honest. And um, All I knew is that every afternoon when I was working at my mum's shop, I would press my ear up against the radio when Fifi and Jules were on doing their drive show and I just loved them. I laughed out loud. You know, I would be annoyed when a customer came in because I'd be like, you guys are ruining my Fifi and Jules time. I want to sit here and listen to them. Three more pieces of fish and I can't hear anymore. Exactly. God damn. You know, so... They were just so good and I just loved Fifi so much. I just loved her and I just, I really, I really was like, that sounds so fun. There's no way I could do that though. Is there, uh, maybe Tim Blackwell has a lot of fun on the radio. Mm. (laughs) When you watch her Instagram, he seems to just be 
half falling off the seat all the time. But totally. is there anyone that has more fun on radio in such a serious, massive job than Fifi Box? Oh, man, that's a really good question. I love- but, um, but it was the pure joy that she was getting from radio that you were hearing, is that- I guess so. And I mean, Jules is obviously, he's a multi- Super talented oh, media guy. So, talented. yeah, I think it was um, a little bit of that. I they were doing mostly pretty lightweight stuff after Hamish yeah, and Andy, weren't they? Because yeah. no one was going to be able to do that instant humor, huge story arcs, complicated stuff that Hamish and Andy did. Yeah. So, they went. I do remember listening to them a bit. They seemed like just a fun show. Yeah, I would love to listen to Fifi and Jules now that I've been in radio for um, a good while. And, um, you know, I wonder whether I still found that really fun and entertaining and whatnot. I probably would in some way and appreciate it. They used to do Fifi's Blackout Challenges. I think it was called Blackout Challenges. And... Oh, man, it sounds just so fun. And I was like, yeah, that is such a cool job. And, yeah, we'd have the radio and we'd have Star FM on in the mornings when I was working at the bank as well. And Ben and Christy were on and I'd sort of be like, man, I wish I could do that. And, like, or, you know, and Brendo would be on the day and, you know. Yeah. So, you could imagine what it was like when I actually got my job in radio, but we will get to that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, just back to Koryong. And this, like, comfort zone that I was sort of in. Yeah, sorry, I do tend to derail mm, things. No, yeah. that's fine. I like a derail. But um, it was actually a lot harder than what I thought it was. You know, it was harder. It was hard in terms of what happened at Monash Uni and coming back. It was almost harder to leave again and to break out of that comfort zone. I did the Southern Cross Austereo Media Careers Boot Camp in Canberra. Um Sorry, just before, mm. how long were you doing from when you first started doing community radio? And I did community radio on Koryong too. And I know that besides almost getting the station shut down a few times, playing European black metal bands by accident, <laughs> I had no idea there was rules. Like none. We got no training. No, of any kind. no. God, the no. only guy that gave us any training was Tim Fisher. Okay. He came in and he said, oh, you guys, you probably should put headphones on when you speak into the mic. They normally do it. Radio stations, this is a politician. He came in after six weeks. Yeah. That, was it. that was the only training. It was by him. Wow. Yeah, try the headphones, guys, and you can hear yourselves. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah, because we had no idea what the levels were. Like, the music was 20 times louder than the Where voice. was it when you were doing it? Straight across from, is it Hobie's, the sports Hobie's, store? Hobie's, yeah. Or oh, yeah. formerly Hobie's, I think. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so I don't think it's moved from there, has it? Oh, well, when I was doing it, it was in this kind of closet in the hospital, one of the hospital okay. rooms, yeah. Yeah, right. I don't know where it is now. Wasn't like the UK in the hospital radio? Yeah, well, that's what I kind of thought about as well. I'm like, it's kind of like we're broadcasting, the yeah, to yep. the patients. But, you know, I think we were just broadcasting to my mum. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's what we're all doing back in the day. <laughs> oh, it was fun, though. I used to do... um beauty review segments and not obviously not sent anything for free or sponsored or anything. I'd literally just be like, oh, guys, this new Pantene treatment is really good. It makes your hair super silky, but, you know, don't use it too much. And, you know, I would literally put music beds under my voice and whatnot, which now I look back, I'm like, that was really clever. How did you know to do that? You know, I didn't really know anything about radio. So it was kind of cool going up there. I really liked it. I did it with my sister um, to start with because she's just an absolute pisser and, you know, but we'd have fights, you know, and then she wouldn't come one week and then eventually she just stopped okay. going all together. But, yeah, it was pretty fun. I, you, you wouldn't, when you'd play a song with a swear word, you'd have to quickly put the fader down really quickly. Yeah, and we, we, we missed that lesson. <laughs> yeah, completely. <laughs> oh, and it was so fun when people 
one person rang up, I should say. Just the one? <laughs> mm-hmm. And we used to get... I don't know how I got on to it, but it was Universal Music. I must have emailed them and just said, hey, I do a community radio show. Can you send me some CDs? And then I did sort of, hey, Texas number if you want a free CD. And um, it was my own number, which is really weird now that I think about yeah, it. That is, but you don't think about anything like that in Korea. No, no. no there's only don't. two people that have this number already. Three's not going to matter. <laughs> yeah. I have given my re- Seamus when I was on with Seamus doing the Brecky show. He did give my number out on the air here. So, oh, Sandalins move that. Yeah, one, yeah. Um, but yeah, and when we got a text, I remember my sister and I literally jumping up and down in the radio studio because somebody <laughs> actually texted and was actually listening. What did it say? Something oh. like, "Can I have a free CD?" or something. Yeah. <laughs> so I didn't say, "Where'd you get the Pantene? They don't have it at Murray Goulburn." <laughs> no. no, it wasn't that. No. Don't know if they like that segment. <laughs> yeah. So you were buying all this. So really, the beauty segment was limited to what you happen to already have yourself. Literally. Yeah. It was like, oh, oh I've got my shirt on tonight. Let's look around in my bedroom for something that I could talk about. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Hey, if anyone wants to send me some free stuff, I'll try and squeeze you in on my shift. <laughs> so, you, how long did you? How long was it between when you were doing that regularly and when you did the Southern Cross camp? Oh, off the top of my head, I can't, it's, you know, when you like, did you tell blurring? you, were you already getting, did you feel you were getting better just from doing that community stuff? Yeah, yeah, I did. And I felt like I was liking it more. And I had a really good mentor at the community radio station. His name was Hugh. I don't know. You might know him. No, he mustn't have been there when we were doing our stuff. Yeah, he was really good and he was really encouraging. He was like, Riley, you should really try this because I think you've got something good. And I think you've got something special and... That was really nice because I didn't really have much confidence in myself. I mean, don't we all not have any confidence in ourselves? And um, he actually heard the ad on the radio for the Southern Cross of Stereo Media Careers Boot Camp. And that's when he said, you should really do it. And by that stage, I was sort of like, all right, I'll just give it a crack. But I didn't realize it could end. I didn't even know what Southern Cross of Stereo was. <laughs> yeah, right. So, I didn't know that was the connection to Star FM, Fifi and Jules, you know, all that. I didn't know. So, approximately on the timeline, when was this happening? Yeah, so I think I was doing community radio for maybe 18 months to two years. Okay. Yeah, so I was given it now a crack. Every week, or yeah. most weeks. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty consistent. Yeah, and I think it was about three hours. Yeah, three-hour show. Yes. I don't okay. know. I can't remember how many times I talked or anything. And what did, what had the show become? Obviously, you weren't still doing Pantene ads Yeah, by two years in. Very music-driven. It was sort of, I mean, if I was going to compare it, I kind of probably wanted to be a bit of a Ash London kind of vibe, really passionate about music, which I still passionate am. music person. Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm passionate about music, but I'm bit lazy when it comes to new music and stuff. And <laughs> well, yeah, I think there'll be a few people in the world as fanatical as what she is about yes. discovering new stuff, I think. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So, obviously, I recall from, I was like, I either read it somewhere or heard that you said that you weren't too sure what it was that you were going to, or even after you'd been there, you weren't really sure what it really was what would come of it and you're on it were you driving to Canberra or something yeah with your mum and you're like still don't really know what it's about but it yeah. felt good <laughs> I was literally like I don't know what I'm doing my mum and my stepdad drove me to Canberra oh, so sorry the camp was in Canberra mm-hmm. that, that must yeah sorry that's yeah. the connection then yeah, yeah that was Canberra so I did it had a ball it was so fun and then at the end of the weekend they interview you by sort of like the departments that you could potentially fit into. And um, Phil Bradley, who is the content director of Hobart now, he 
interviewed me and he was doing the interviews for con- potential content people. And yeah, I remember sitting there thinking, I hope Phil interviews me because I really want to be on it. And, um, you know, he, I walked into the interview room and I was like, I want to be the next VP box. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess. Um, yeah, I, I guess it was, it was pretty good, but it wasn't until months later that that promo assistant job came up and that's when I got into okay. radio. Mm. So, you went, were you, did you go back to doing your weekly show in between? Yes, I and did. did you, were you keeping track of the fact you hadn't heard anything or did it slip your mind after a while? Or Do you, you know just- what? I did hear from them. I got a letter from the Southern Cross Stereo team and it said, hey, we'd like a second interview with you. Someone will be in touch to um, organise it. And so that's what the letter said. But two months went by and nobody had contacted me yet. Yet, <laughs> I, it was the ball was in my park, you know. It was for you to I, chase I should it. have chased it, and but I was so shit scared, you know. I w- would have conversations with my mum. I still remember, and she was like, "You need to email someone about that letter." And I was like, "I don't want to, because I don't. I've just got this weird feeling that something's going to happen." Well, it sounds like your mum's more switched on than most people up there, because it's not an area of the world. And this is actually a question I had, so you've segued into this beautifully, yeah. Riley. It's not a part of the world where there's anyone with any expertise on winner-take-all careers. Yeah. Like, there's no one who knows about the media, whether it's radio, TV, or there's not all that many people up there that will help Yeah, young people or anybody, really, of, hey, yeah. this is a media career. It's one of the most chased careers of any kind. You probably need to chase that up yourself. No one's going to come looking for you. Well, exactly when, right. If you're, so in, true. if you're in a Melbourne and you're in a big community station down there or something or whatever, there would have probably been people around you going, well, why haven't you rung them back? Anything. Or why haven't you done anything about that? Totally. I know. You're so right. And my mum, you know, she is pretty intuitive. And I don't mean that. Sorry. I probably should preface, finish Not up yet. by saying <laughs> I don't want that to seem like I'm disparaging Corion, but there's no media industry there. Totally. So, there's no reason for anyone to have that knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, thank God my mum was like that because, you know, she was so, I guess, intuitive about it. And, um, you know, even I look at my sister and my sister's, you know, recording music and doing amazing things in Melbourne and stuff. And, you know, it was all because of mum. She just pushed us to pursue those things. Pursue it, I guess. Because it was always, you know, sorry, I'm digressing now, but, you know, it was... I wanted to be an actress, for example, all through high school. And I still remember people saying, like teachers and stuff saying, yeah, but you need to back up because that's probably not going to work. And, you know, and I think about that now and I'm like, well, maybe it will work for some people because you need those people to have those big dreams because it's going to work for some people because they've got that drive there. So why not encourage, you know, a 16 year old wants to be an actress? Well, sure, it sounds far fetched, but if she wants to go for it, bloody go for it. This is a, and I'll take the tangent even further. I think you've, and I've got several teachers in my family. I think part of it's the fact that to fully invest in the creative strengths of each individual child, when you're talking about a group of people that are already overworked and underappreciated mm-hmm. to the point where their workloads are so much bigger than people realize and they're doing so much in their off time. Yeah. To then have to individually tailor. Mm. The conversations and the effort that you give every child of different levels of creativity or intellect or whatever, I think the job just then becomes too overwhelming. Like, what and what resources do you have in Corrung to truly help a kid that wants to do that? Mm. 
there's a drama class and you might have a talented drama If you're teacher. lucky to get a drama class, that Yeah, is. but then by the time you get to the senior levels of school, those have all been axed. Yeah. They're not options. They used to and say to mainly become a drama teacher too, and I was like, I don't want to bloody be a teacher. It's hard for someone to know what it really takes. What's it, what's it really take to be an actor? I don't know. I'm a teacher. <laughs> totally, totally. It's yeah. just that kind of lack of- you got to kind of make- Where I guess it's all going is you really have to pursue things yourself- you do. In little, little towns. You do. Absolutely. If you want it badly enough. So, your mum obviously pushed you to, did you end up reaching out yourself or did they reach out? Yeah. So, it was about two months and um, I, yeah, I got in touch and then I, I met Phil again for another interview at the station, but there wasn't anything going then. And I was relieved, to be honest. I was like, oh, thank God, because I don't want to, I don't want to go for something. I don't want to leave. And But I couldn't admit that to myself as well. I That was just in hindsight. That's what I know what was going on in my mind now. Like I was kind of just pushing it down um, and just kind of using that as an excuse. Like, oh, mum, you know, you said that there was nothing going at the station. So I'm not going anywhere. Um, and it was when... It was all sort of in, maybe it's a couple of weeks later, actually. But yeah, a job came up as the promotions assistant. And I was like, oh my God, I'm, I'm seriously having panic attacks because I'm like, I need to go for that because that's pretty good. That's a really good um, foot in the door. And promotions assistant, you sort of learn from the ground up then. Yeah. Anyway, but I was, I was so scared, Josh. I seriously... This is no word of a lie. I couldn't talk to mum about it because I didn't want her to know what was going on, like this inner turmoil. I couldn't talk to my sister about it because she would have just been like, you're an idiot. You need to go for it. And so I booked a doctor's appointment and I went and saw a counsellor at the hospital in Corrion. You didn't see the GP. (laughs) I don't know. I must have seen a GP first and then got a referral or something because I sat down with this lady and I was like, got a job at the bank. I don't even really like it. I don't know what I'm doing. I've got a boyfriend. I'm kind of miserable. And I've got this opportunity to potentially go for this radio stuff, but I'm scared. I don't want to leave and I need help and I need you to tell me I should leave, I guess. I don't know. I I can't even really remember the conversation, to be honest, because I was crying a lot and, you know, it just kind of all spilled out of me. It sounds like it was about a little bit more than... The potential yeah, radio job. It really was. It yeah. really was this kind of just comfort. I mean, I was 23 by then as well. So, this was a few years out of school. And yeah. I mean, I was old enough to be moving away and moving out of home. And I just I just wasn't. I was watching people move to Melbourne and they were coming back and they had these cool lives. And I was like, oh, shit, like I'm just working at the shop. Yeah. <laughs> um, And it's fine. You know, I get it each to their own. But, man, it really was hard for me to take that step to move down and do radio. And it was kind of cool, though, because the job actually was casual for a while. So, I only did three days a week. So, I kind of half lived in Aubrey, kind of half lived in Corrion, and then it was very gradual. So, it was a very healthy transition for me, but that first step was really hard. Hello. Welcome to the mid-roll. This is a very special ad spot, and it could be yours. So... This is the perfect time in any podcast to promote your band, your business, your website, Instagram, whatever it is that you want to promote for yourself. And just from what I've been told, this is about the right place to put one. So am I excited about this? I've been thinking about that. And yeah, I kind of am to give the opportunity to good people in the area to promote themselves for what I'm thinking is a pretty good price. Sponsorships, 
at punchingsideways.com to discuss that. And yeah, just to answer the question about being excited, I'm more excited than an emo rock singer rummaging through their hairdresser's handbag. Okay, sponsorships at punchingsideways.com. So we won't go too much into the specifics of what you were doing day to day, but when was it that you... You obviously had the idea you'd like to be on air. Yeah, That's I probably did. why you choose to start right at the bottom of something. Yeah. So, was there long between when you actually were on air and when you first started doing the promotion stuff? Mm, uh, no, about nine months. Okay. So, yeah, when I first started doing promo. Um, but I was very transparent with everyone in there as well. You know, even when they decided to put me on full time, I was like, guys... Just so you know, I don't want to do promo forever. I really want to be on air. And I mean, they've heard all that before. Um, yeah. And they were pretty, they were so supportive though, really supportive. And I'm so grateful for that. So Brendo was the workday announcer there and he was really good because he gave me the 5am shift to pre-record before the brekkie show came in. Okay. So I pre-recorded after I'd finished all my promo stuff and promo was such a hard job. Like we worked so hard, you know, um, um, events and uh, competitions and just all this back-end admin and yeah it was a two-man team myself and Kayla Gardner and we just we were really good we um we got it all done but I so I'd finished my job in promo about 5 6 o'clock and then I'd go into the studio and I'd record these breaks for the 5 a.m shift and because I wanted them to sound perfect it used to take me like two hours to do a one hour shift you know we're talking like 30 second breaks mind you they were probably about two minutes back then I'd had no concept of tight and bright yeah yeah <laughs> so just for people that aren't familiar with what you were doing you would basically just want it was going to be a small part of a music shift. Yep, yep, small part of a music shift. It was sort of like, guys, the brekkie show is going to be in soon. Here's a funny thing they did yesterday. And then just throw it to... And w- were you party. deciding what the funny thing was or did the content oh, people decide that? I can't remember, to be honest. I yeah. think maybe I was getting them, yeah, getting the, the bits and pieces together because, I mean... People, they, they were pretty chill about the 5 a.m. spot as well. They were sort of like, you know, go nuts. Um, so, yeah, it was pretty good. So, I only did that for a couple of months, actually. And then that's when the workday job came up. And, you know, I went in, I went into our general manager and I was like, can I please apply? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I thought I was way too green. Yeah. So, if we go forward a little bit, and mm-hmm. it's probably why most people that are listening today that don't know you personally would probably still know you, mm-hmm. that you moved into that breakfast shift, which I guess for most radio people like yourself, that's where you want to be. Yeah. <laughs> so, and did you start in that shift with Seamus? Were you put in there at the same yeah. time? Yeah. Yeah, we were. Um, I just actually remembered something just to go back slightly. That's fine, yeah. My first shift on radio, on the air, at nine o'clock, I said the F word. <laughs> Was it a frustrated F word because something was going wrong or was it just a, you just dropped an F word because you were relaxed? No, i tell you what happened. I didn't really know how to use the panel properly and I sort of was just like, yeah, yeah, I got it. No worries. I'm going to go and do my shift. And I wanted to do it all live because I was like, you know, I'm a radio announcer now. This is my job. I'm going to do yeah. it live. Anyway, and so I had the microphone up and on and I'd just come out of this break and then Rudimental song Bloodstream with Ed Sheeran was playing and Ollie, one of our brekkie announcers came in and because it's so quiet in the studio when you don't have the music going. Um, it's, it's yeah, it's dead silent. And he opens the door and he's like, rah. I was like, oh, my God, you scared the fucking shit out of me. <laughs> 
and that got broadcast to all of Aubrey Wodonga and Surround's Solves about it. Yeah, right. <laughs> Man, I was so devastated though. I thought they were going to walk me. I literally thought that's it. Like that's my first shift on air yeah. and I said the F-bomb. Yeah, it's a pretty strange circumstance though. So oh, it would have sounded like you're making it up. Yeah, <laughs> well, someone ran in. Oh, sure he did. Yeah, right. <laughs> I, I actually remember our general manager. He came back from, you know, some. he was away for work or something and he came back in and it had been a couple of days. And he hadn't said anything to me. I knew that he knew what had happened. And I just went up to him and I was like, I'm so sorry. And he just put his arm around me and he's like, I know that you would have beaten yourself up about this enough. So don't worry about it. Accidents happened. And I was like, oh my God, thank you, God. But yeah, so that was my first um, shift on air. And that's a cracker. I know. I I just always, I always wanted to laugh about it. You know, I was just like, I can't wait till so much time has passed and I can laugh about this now. So now we can laugh about it, Josh. Happy that you've got that relief. Yes. So, Brecky. Yes. So, we did – so, I was on the work day and I was always very, again, transparent. I said, I really want to be in breakfast, want to do a show. And, yeah, I had to go through the same process of a, applying and demoing with – I think I did uh, four different demos. Yeah. But same with Seamus. He did four or five different demos with other girls and they were just really trying different people out and seeing what worked for them. And what's going to work for the station and whatnot. So I was never a shoe in, which was good because I really did have to prove myself. And do you think that the reason why it sounds to most people like it's just all fun and games and you're kind of doing it on your ear is because so much work goes into finding two people that have that. Whether it's you can argue the right way, fight the right way, forgive each other or get along or giggle with each other or whatever. Yeah. And because you guys had a very natural vibe. Yeah. Do you think that's because of... I mean, obviously, Aubrey's a slightly bigger market yeah. than some. Do you think it was because of that much work? Like, when you first came together, did it feel like it was the culmination of a yeah. lot of work? Well, I do think we did have that sort of instant chemistry yeah. on the air. I remember thinking, though, when we did the demo, he brought up a topic that was like, oh, is it okay to buy your girlfriend service station flowers? And I was like, hell no, you know, because I knew that that light and shade would work really well. But then it sort of carried on into everything. And Seamus and I really did have a good light and shade. Yeah. But yeah, there was a, there is a lot of work that goes into that chemistry, I guess. We were- it's funny. It sound, to me, as an outsider, it feels like the work goes into making it sound like mm. there's not a lot of work. Yeah, like, totally. That's, the, that's kind of where everyone wants to be. Yeah, it's, exactly. It doesn't sound like much as... Yeah. Yeah, much is happening really. It's just, just off the cuff yeah. kind of thing. Yeah, it's so true. And, you know, I think- So, did you- I mean, you obviously know Seamus far better than I do, but in my experience, mm-hmm. he's a born entertainer type. Yeah. Did you feel like it was strong from day one or was there still a lot to figure out? Oh, that's a really good question, actually. Because you um, are different. Well, obviously, now I've met you properly in no, person. No. You aren't really the same. <laughs> anything alike no, in person. Oh, uh, God. Oh, really? That's so funny. Um, Yeah. Oh, I don't really know. It was, Um, I think we, I don't know. That's probably a tough question. It's kind of tough. Because I, just, I guess more of- so when you've got a, I mean, this is how. After the first time, I think Seamus and I spoke, he described himself as a paid radio clown, which I don't think is very fair, but that's what he just said. If you've got a massive personality taking up a certain amount of yeah. gravity yeah. in yeah. in a product, yeah. how do you find your own? It's like being in a band. Like, I know I was that guy in the last band I was in. Yeah. I wrote yeah. most of the songs. We didn't practice if I wasn't going to be there. Yeah. Like, yeah. If I didn't like what the other guys were writing, 
then they yeah. look at me like, is that good enough? And I'd be looking at eh, probably not. <laughs> so yeah, I was yeah. the gravity in that band. Well, it's true. And, you know, I think even for that two years that we were on together, um, even for me, it's sort of, I don't know, you feel like you do grow as a person on air and, you know, that I guess um, there was a lot of me, like, you know, sort of questioning, like, what is my thing and what is my personal brand yeah. and stuff? And, and I used to, you know, try and talk to my content director and be like, I don't know what my thing is. Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of still don't, to be honest. I'm just working it yeah. out. Um, and I guess that can be a thing mm. when you're you know, through your 20s maybe. Mm-hmm. But I don't know whether that's a long-term creative choice if I'm going to be the person that doesn't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. at a certain point you kind of have to. Yeah. Unless you go full on into that. But Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't trying to push you into a corner then of saying, oh, well, Seamus took up all this room. What were you doing? It's yeah. more of a how do you find. Yeah. Because it's only from having conversations with the guys in the band now that they're like, yeah, we we couldn't do anything without you and you decided everything without realising you were even doing that because you yeah. were writing all the music, etc. Yeah. And it's only looking back that I now know that, okay, I was taking up a lot of yeah. space in that product. Yeah, In that sure. band or that song or whatever. So yeah. What did, what would you say your thing is now? Oh, you know what? Because, I mean, to your credit, you did play the – because I know just from seeing the things you posted now, meeting you, that you're pretty sharp. Mm-hmm. But you were pretty good at playing the, what is going on here? Yeah. <laughs> like, is this all going to hell? Yeah. In basket? Yep, yep. Yeah, like, honestly, I still feel like I'm just working it out. And I actually haven't probably properly reflected on what I brought to the show and, and whatnot and, um, you know, what I could potentially give to another show or co-host and it has been good stepping away from breakfast because I think sometimes you're so close to it as well that you kind of need to step back and just think oh I you know I need to work my own thing out yeah if the opportunity is there again I'd like to come with more of a thing or a bit more of a skill set or whatever yeah well thank you for joining me thank you for having me and yeah you're welcome back at any point oh thank you I've seen Koryong sometimes you get up there uh I've been going up more in the last month probably than I have in a long time. Yeah, trying to get in some dad time. Yeah, 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 yeah of course. Yeah, definitely. Right, is there anything else you wanted to leave us with? Oh, I don't think so. Okay, can I, I can I just give you a two-second yes. quiz? Oh, my God, okay. This is one-word one <laughs> answers because I've heard you defend Quarryong to people from Albury and I've heard you defend Albury to people from Melbourne. So. <laughs> I nearly had a fight with someone at the winery walkabout. I one remember that story. Like, yeah. Oh, do you? Yes. Oh, my God. It was so good. And I was like, you know, he's like, Albury's so shit. And I was just like, well, why come back here? You know, I was, yeah. get my sass on. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, if you had to take someone to Quarryong, <sighs> just as a, a friend or whoever, and you wanted to show them something that you think is really Quarryong, what would you do? Or what uh, would you? Where would you take them? You know what? I actually, I went up with my boyfriend in April. We went to the Men From Snowy River Festival. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I had not been in there in years. That's a pretty awesome event these days. From It's pretty cool. Yeah. And then we sort of got back to my house and he was like, what else do you want to do? I'm like, um, let's go to Playles Hill. Just <laughs> <laughs> a lookout. It's, yeah. It's, it's okay. That's a solid in joke for the Coriong peeps. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and and I guess if we take that same question, what would you do in Albury to really show people this is... This is Aubrey in a nutshell. Oh, Or Wodonga or the region. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about going anywhere, but I'm definitely a big fan of going out for brekkie or brunch. Yeah. And I think Aubrey, Wodonga has 
really good brekkie spots and cafe culture. And yeah. I really like it. Um, favorites at the moment. I, lo- I haven't been there for ages, but I love As Thick As Thieves. Okay. It's really good. That one's on Dean Street. And um, maybe um, the one at the train station in Wodonga. Uh, yes, I cannot remember the name of. Bean Station. Bean Station. I think that I'd probably just dump them in bright in autumn and oh, just say, yeah, enjoy yeah. yourself. I'm going to Beechworth. Yeah. yeah. Yes, I really love Bright, though. Yeah, it's pretty easy to impress people around here if you drive an hour. Yeah, that way, yeah I mountains. know, but that's the weird thing. Look at all these beautiful like, little towns. Let's go for a drive. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Well, Riley, thank you so much. And thank you for having me. Thank you for being the first person I think I've ever had on from Coryong really? on any podcast I've ever done. I oh think I've God. done 900 episodes in 10 years. <laughs> I don't know whether I've ever had a Coryong person on, so it's a pleasure. Oh, thanks for having me. Excellent. Thank you. This episode was edited by Deadset Podcasting. If you want your podcast to sound this good, check out deadsetpodcasting.com forward slash services. Get the sound you're chasing.